0: When I was a kid, I wanted to be a lion tamer, and now I'm a writer.
1: Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Beck Dory Stein. Beck grew up in Narbeth, Pennsylvania, and taught high school English for three years before serving as a White House stenographer from 2012 to 2017. Her first book, From the Corner of the Oval, was a New York Times bestseller. She has a new novel coming out on June 29th called Rock the Boat, in which old friends discover how much has changed and how much has stayed the same when they reunite in their seaside hometown for one unforgettable summer. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Beck.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Of
1: course. I'm so excited to have you. I remember reading from the corner of the Oval, which I'm holding right now, and I was just so blown away by how you recalled these really specific details from your time in the White House and also how you made people... So human, which they were, obviously. But when we think of the White House, we often think of an organization, a building, a structure. We don't always think of like, oh, yeah, this person, you know, who runs the Defense Department, they can also go to happy hour. Um, You know what I mean? And so I I thought that was super fascinating. How How did you remember those specifics aside from... You know, POTUS speeches, which you were transcribing and which there are records of. How did you go about remembering these things? Were you journaling regularly? Did you know when you were in the White House, hey, this could be a book someday?
0: Yeah. So I was writing in real time. I actually have a pretty terrible memory. So there's no way I could write that book now. Uh, The whole time I was there, I was keeping notes. Before I even took the job, as you mentioned, I was a high school English teacher before. So I was really used to having a classroom and dialogue. And when I accepted this job off Craigslist, all of a sudden I was expected to not say a word ever. And that does not come naturally to me. So I was talking to my dad before, like after I had accepted the job before it started. And I remember walking through DC and just talking to him. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) And he was like, well, what if you keep notes? You know, like you love writing. You've always loved writing. What if you just use this as an opportunity For writing exercises. And obviously, when you work in the White House, especially not coming from a government background, it was so brand new to me. And I was a fan of President Obama. So every day there was something exciting to write about. And so it came naturally to take notes. And because everyone's on their at the time, Blackberries, we finally got (laughs) iPhones in like 2016. But that whole time I just kept notes on my phone. And it wasn't strange because everyone was on their phone all the time.
1: Yeah, you just alluded to one of my favorite stories from the book which is the fact that you got a job in the white house from a craigslist posting and it makes me think there was such a wealth of great stories how do you decide what makes it in and what kind of has to be kept for your own personal archives
0: you write it all down and then you edit and then you have arguments with your editor yeah so i know that you're a kobe bryant fan and basketball fan as am I. Kobe went to my high school.
1: Oh, yeah, you went to Lower Merion. That's right.
0: Yeah. And so Charles Barkley is another Philly basketball player. And I got to spend an entire Saturday morning with him in the White House. And it was a snow day. So typically, you know, I got to meet a lot of famous, accomplished people, but just sort of like in passing, you know, being shadow. And with Charles Barkley, I was actually able to like, I was the only one there. He didn't come with any staff. And because it was a snow day and the whole White House was shut down, we only had that one interview because he was only in town for 24 hours. I was his staffer, which never got to happen. (laughs) And then he's like making fun of me for four hours. I go home. I write this epic account of what happened between us. He's making fun of my brother. He's making fun (laughs) of my height. At one point, he insinuates that my mom was sleeping with the milkman because my brother's a big call and I'm not. It was just a really exciting day. And... I write it all down. I have it as something that I definitely want to include in the book. And my editor was like, this doesn't, this has nothing to do with the narrative arc of the story. Like, I know that it was really exciting for you, but this yeah. is a personal treasure. This isn't for everyone. So a lot of it does, you know, the best and hardest part of that book is that I did write it in real time. And so looking back, I'm like, oh, there are some cringy moments. And then there are some things that I'm like, I'm so glad that got in there. Cause there's no way I would remember that now.
1: Right. And to your point about the narrative arc and what fits in, if I were shadowing you when you were writing that book, would I see a bunch of note cards everywhere? Would I see like a beautiful mind set up in your room? What, what did it look like in terms of, you know, plotting out that arc?
0: I wish that I was organized enough for note cards. I would hear about these note cards. I've asked everyone about the note cards. I know there's no way I just have a gazillion documents open on my computer. Half of them aren't saved. Half of them are named the same thing. It is truly a disaster at every point in the process. Yeah. And then sometimes there will be one piece of like one legal pad where I've tried to outline it, but a lot of it is like almost poking things into place kind of, yeah, it's a wild beast. It's funny. I was thinking about when I was really little and I wanted to be a wild, uh, a lion tamer. And I'm like, I kind of am because it's still this sort of like taming the beast of, yeah, A manuscript is no joke
1: yeah and i like how you alluded to using a legal pad even if it's just for outlining that that strikes me as a very obama thing because i knew that he likes to write out his speeches when he can by hand on legal pad i mean you know
0: why that is
1: why is that i i don't know i i forgot yeah
0: yeah i can't speak to president obama besides that he was a lawyer so that probably is organic for him but For me, it's because you can flip back without having to turn the page. So you can see what's written, but you're just looking up. So it's that little tiny adjustment that makes a big difference.
1: As opposed to like a regular notebook where you're... Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. I'm kind of astounded that it took me this long to come to this revelation that you have just educated me on, but I'm grateful we're here now. (laughs) That's amazing. So, you know, it sounds like With a lot of writers I speak with, it actually is that messy process. It's not... I come from the TV writing world where we do use note cards most often, but it sounds like with a lot of writers, that is the process. It's, you know, the quirky little things. It's a combination of a legal pad and other stuff. But ultimately, you figure out a way to tame the beast, which is exciting. And we're glad you did. On behalf of all readers, we're glad you did so well from the corner of the Oval. it It was just such a treat. And I mean, did you notice anything from... Going from writing nonfiction to your first fiction book where you're like, whoa, that it was so different from writing from the corner of the oval.
0: Yeah, there were they are different animals, really. I mean, the first one I had in my head for five years and I'm keeping notes and I'm getting all of this positive feedback from the few people that I'm sharing anything with. But also I work in the White House. I'm totally uh, isolated from any sort of literary world. The idea of having a literary agent isn't even in my periphery. I have no idea how any of that works. And it was just sort of like my pipe dream. Who knows if it's going to happen? The second book, because from the corner of the oval was a two book deal. I knew I got to write a second book. So the whole time, and I already had an idea for what the second book would be. So it was more in my head, but also so much more of like a guarantee. That right there is such a, the difference of like, a wild pipe dream versus like, oh, I get to do this. So how do yeah. I do the as best as I can? And then as far as fiction goes, it was so fun because for writing a memoir when I had no plans on dying anytime soon, it was yeah. like, <laughs> everyone's going to hate me. I'm going to burn a lot of bridges, but also this is my story and this is yeah. an honest account. And I feel like it'll behoove a ton of people. And also if someone got a job on Craigslist, who got to work in the White House and fly on Air Force One, they better write a book about it because yeah. like, how dare they be that lucky? <laughs> so I did feel like all of that was my responsibility. That being said, I was in my 20s. I had a like dumpster fire of a personal life. <laughs> and all of that made me really vulnerable when the book came out to, you know, mothers at book events being like, you <laughs> really should have learned your lesson the first three times that guy burned you. Yeah, And that's not fun to hear, especially because it's like, well, that was also two years ago. So for fiction, it was so fun because I got to make characters who range in likability, but it's not me. So I'm like, oh, you don't like her? Yeah, neither do I. You have to grow to like her. That's the whole point. There's, you know, a character arc there. And so I'm excited for this new book to come out, Rock the Boat, because I care so deeply about these characters, but also I have no problem criticizing them because I'm not the protagonist this time. Like Kate is a fun creation from my imagination and not you know myself from three years ago
1: yeah it sounds like not basing it on real people opens you up in a lot of exciting ways that perhaps when you are basing it off real people and real events you're bound by certain limitations it makes me think like especially because you were writing about people in the white house did you have to show it to like the defense department or the state department or any kind of clearance before you could release from the corner of the oval which is something i you definitely wouldn't need to worry about with a novel
0: I'm so glad you asked, Ben, because (laughs) when you talked about people in the White House, you know, being real people who go to happy hour, I actually met the president's White House counsel at a happy hour that I was not invited to. A friend of a friend was like, oh, a bunch of the lawyers are going to this bar. And I was like, well, I don't I'm not a lawyer. And they're like, yeah, but you live up the block. Just come. Yeah. And so I met this extremely high powered, super cool woman, a lawyer for the president of the United States. And I'm talking to her at this happy hour and she goes, can you please just tell me what it's like on Air Force One? Cause she had never gotten to fly. And it was like oh, that, wow. it was such a highlight moment of like, I lucked out beyond my wildest dreams. And yeah. I didn't even have to take on, you know, law school loans to have this opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then full circle, three years later, I have to write to her and be like, Hey buddy, um, I'm writing this book and I just <laughs> want to make sure we're cool. And so I sent her the manuscript before she asked for it just to keep everything above board. But she called me back a few days later and she was like, I looked into it. Your background clearance is so low because, again, I worked with mostly members of the press. She was like, essentially, you're so unimportant. I can't stop you from writing whatever you want to (laughs) write. So it was like a humbling moment, but also a really liberating moment where she was like, yeah, go forth. I can't wait to read it, I hope.
1: Yeah. And then when it comes to writing a novel, now that you are in the literary world, do you then workshop it with you? Are you sharing your manuscript with people like authors rather than White House friends? What was that note sharing process like between the two books?
0: So the first book was really difficult for me because I was actually advised by the publisher, by my agent, like, keep this close. Don't share this with people, especially White House friends, because even though... You want to do right by them. They're also going to have their own perspective of all of these events and you can't please everyone. So that was really hard for me because I'm definitely a sharer. (laughs) And so for the new book and having kind of dipped my toe into the writing world, I've become friends with a few writers who I just absolutely love. And it's so fun to kind of speak the same language and have, you know, friends who can commiserate over all the stresses of trying to create something that doesn't exist into existence yeah. and so i definitely like claire lombardo who wrote uh, the most fun we ever had she was a good friend and i sent her an early manuscript also it's like you know i think inherent in every writer is just a bottomless abyss of self-doubt so you know she like says all these <laughs> nice things i'm like you're a liar and it's just because we're friends <laughs> so there's that that will probably continue for forever but it has been really nice to kind of get to be a little more open and get to have slowly accrue a family of fellow writers
1: yeah that's something that I've always found super liberating in my own writing which is I can take it only so far before I'm like you can't edit yourself after a certain point you're like that's the best that Ben or Beck can do we now need to share it with other brains and get feedback
0: yeah and that being said one my mom and my sister were actually huge editors for me I read the whole thing I read both books out loud to my mom and had her edit as I was reading out loud so we were double editing it ended in a lot of screaming (laughs) matches but both definitely better because of it and then to your point I've always loved that about tv writing and like writer's rooms where it is like you have this built-in team of people where they all want to accomplish the same thing and it's just like how do we make this stronger so yeah I'm actually pretty envious of that (laughs)
1: Yeah, I love that you say you shared it with your mom because I call my dad the editor-in-chief. Whenever my brother or I have something really important we need to write, we usually run it past him. And like you, we have really epic screening matches, but we often concede that he's right or he has in some way improved our document, which is a frustrating realization, but it turns out to be the case pretty often.
0: But only after he's truly wounded you in ways you might not recover.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and told me, why are you even writing? Just go become a lawyer. Like, these are the same skill sets. Just go become a lawyer. But but I respect where he's coming from. Is he a lawyer? He's not a lawyer. He's an engineer. So he's in another stable, great profession. Um yeah, uh, yeah, he's a he's an immigrant Iranian Jew, so he definitely is a big fan of anybody who takes the stable route. But I'm very fortunate that he, in general, has been very supportive of my path. He just wants me to have a stable life, which I respect.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, we want to have stable lives too. It's just yeah. we also one creative. So it's a... exactly,
1: exactly. Then that, that's the push and pull with him, and we always find a happy, happy balance. But I do, I do want to ask you. So when it comes to writing your your fiction characters, your stories. I don't want to ask where do your ideas come from? Because there's this great writer, Nels Cavell, who said that's like asking me, how does my hair grow? But what I am interested in is where do you find sources of inspiration? Are there certain practices or certain uh, people in your life that you look to and you think, oh, that's cool. Let me let me do that or let me incorporate that.
0: So to your second point, I will say that there's not a single person on Earth who doesn't have at least a handful of incredible life stories. So I love just like plucking. I forget who said it. But someone said like there's a like all writers are sort of like they just betray by nature because yeah. you, know, you tell me your life story. I'm like, mm, I'm pocketing <laughs> that for a later date. But also I can tell you the inspiration for Rock the Boat because it was a singular event that happened when I was still at the White House, which is my parents have a beach house in New Jersey. You know, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, so kind of everyone goes to the Jersey Shore and there was one time my mom called me and I was in the motorcade and she's like, hey, um, I'm not going to be mad, but can you just tell me, were you, did you go to the beach house? And I was like, when would I have time to leave DC and go to the, what are you talking about? But she had some really strict rules growing up. One of them was that you, you couldn't break book spines yeah. and she had gone to the beach house and there was a book spine broken on the side of the bathtub. And she was like, someone has been here. And after a lot of detective work, we figured out the only person who it could have been was our plumber. And so our plumber was like using our house as sort of his crash pad because he has a spare key in case like the trees in the winter. And this was in like 2014 or 2015. And I was like, oh, I got to write about this. And so initially I was like, is this going to be a murder mystery? Like, is this guy like, and then I decided, you know, it would be cool. You know, it's easy to make this plumber out to be like sleazy or whatever, but what if he's actually like a really sympathetic character and he's kind of, At the end of his rope, and he's had all these traumatic things happen, and so he starts, you know, abusing people's trust and using their house, and that was sort of the the seed for Rock the Boat. Um, One of the main characters is a plumber whose father has died, and like one of his coping mechanisms is he starts spending time in one of the houses that they take care of because it's also where he and his dad spend a ton of time.
1: Whoa! Does the plumber?
0: I still love that quote you shared, but
1: yeah does the Does the plumber know that you have written this book?
0: no <laughs> i know i'm really flying by the seat of my pants because i'm like oh it's such a good story and we're gonna get burned one way or another
1: that is amazing so yeah. wait can i can i ask once you found out in, in the real life version once you found out about the plumber staying at the beach house how did your mom or whoever go about confronting him
0: oh ben we're a conflict diverse family so <laughs> it's been five years and we haven't confronted the plumber we still have the same plumber. He was just there the other day and my mom was laughing because she was like, this is going to be so awkward. Um, but no, they didn't change the locks. They didn't change the plumber. They didn't change the key. And it's continued. So like sometimes the the heating bill will skyrocket in the middle of the winter when no one's down there. Yeah. And I'm like, just get a new plumber. And they're like, it's really hard to find a new plumber. <laughs>
1: Oh my goodness! This person yeah. must either be very kind, very good at their job, or all of the above, or it must be extremely difficult indeed to find a plumber. Um, this is astounding. It's a small
0: town, and yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's hard to find a, someone who will consistently, you know, if the pipes look like they might burst, to go over. But yeah, there was one time fairly recently that. He came in and I was like come on in and I was like so the wa- I guess the washer was broken I was like the washer's right around the corner he's like oh trust me I spend a lot of time here and I was like oh I know
1: oh my goodness well I'm really excited for this plumber to hopefully one day find out that there is a book that he inspired it sounds like it's been a win-win though I mean you got a book out of it your family's been getting services um uh, it sounds totally. like nothing really harmful has happened other than a broken spine and and some exorbitant bills <laughs>
0: Yeah, which if you just if there's no context for that broken spine that sounds pretty bad but yeah you're right
1: <laughs> amazing well I'm really excited to check it out it comes out on june 29th I'm gonna pre-order it for people who aren't familiar with the whole pre-order process that's how books for mine has as I understand make it jump to a bestseller debut on a bestseller it's because of the pre order so just just do yourself a favor. Go to Amazon or your local bookstore and pre-order this thing. You won't regret it. Um, and if you haven't already checked out from the corner of the Oval, definitely do that in the meantime. And lastly, we'll wind down with a few little rapid fire questions. Firstly, what's an app that you can't live without? And let's say one that didn't come with your phone. So not camera or FaceTime or any of those.
0: This is very embarrassing and very specific. But my cat, I have two cats and a dog. And my favorite is by far my main coon named Bodhi. And Bodhi is allowed to go outdoors because he's a grown up. But a few weeks ago, he went missing overnight and I it was the worst 24 hours of my life. So I have a GPS tracking app for him now. It goes on his collar and I am now able to be a true helicopter mom, which is embarrassing. But it is the app I can't live without, especially when I get to like ambush him two streets over and be like, aha. (laughs)
1: i really like that because i thought you were going to say this other app called citizen which is a neighborhood watch app and that is not good for my mental health i cannot be on that thing
0: (laughs) yeah no no thank you i don't care about any of the vandalism i just want to know what my cat is
1: (laughs) exactly yep and who would you like to play you in a movie about your life which i guess in the meantime is a way of saying if from the corner of the oval was made into a movie which i don't know if you've sold the movie rights but if it were to be made into a film who would you like to play you
0: well, as you know all too well, being in L.A., uh, yeah, there's been a lot of talks about from the corner of the Oval. There's been some real highs, some disappointing things. Like yep. Right now, um, some producers have it for television. And who knows, because this is like the third time around. But in the beginning, Emma Stone was tossed about quite a lot. And I was like, I've never been more flattered in my life. And I will take this as a compliment till the day I die. So I'm sticking with her.
1: Amazing. Yeah. And where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit?
0: Uh, well, during quarantine, I binged The Crown, and I got really excited about Scotland, um, oh, where they have that like vacation castle. So, I, and I I also haven't been there. And traveling with President Obama for five years, I got to go to fifty plus countries, and so that's one that I'm like, yeah, I gotta I gotta hit that up.
1: You reminded me of this story, which I think you'll appreciate. I, you might have seen this when Obama was speaking with Oprah in the past year. I forget what was the occasion, but they had some kind of interview. I think it was for his book. And Oprah asked, what have you been watching? Have you, What have you been doing during the quarantine? Uh, and then somehow the crown came up. And Obama said, you know, it's really interesting because I know the queen. And so to watch the crown... And Oprah was like, well, I don't even know the the queen. And I found the crown interesting anyway. (laughs) It was really funny to watch that exchange.
0: He's such a nerd at the end of the day. Like that wasn't him bragging. That was him being like, this was very exciting for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, what's a song you like to jam to? We have a playlist. We throw everybody's recommendations in. So if there's one jam you want to add on your behalf, what would it be?
0: I definitely do. My sister told me about this. She's seven years younger and much cooler than I'll ever be. And she just played this. And she was like, oh, I know you're going to love this song. And then you're going to play it so many times that I hate it, which is what's happening. But um, it's called Heat Waves. And it's Glass Animals, but it's the Oliver Heldon's remix. And it's just really fun for summer and for running. It's got a good beat.
1: Amazing. And I guess because I have you and your experiences, if you want to share any favorite obama story of yours i I, we should end on that note
0: oh geez ben you're putting me on the spot my favorite obama memory
1: or any cool memory whether it's being on the helicopter for your birthday or the treadmill when this guy is talking smack right next to you um whatever memory comes to mind i think to tease people who haven't yet read from the corner of the oval that they really should
0: okay um i guess Yeah, so the first time the president spoke to me was in 2012. And I just started traveling. And, you know, I'm a casual runner. And there was a morning in the hotel and the dogs had come through, but the treadmill next to me was broken and had a sign that said broken. So I didn't think twice about it. And this was also a long time ago. So I was much faster and uh, more inclined to work really hard. And so I'm busting my butt, I do this like hardcore workout, I end with a sprint, I'm just like dripping sweat, and then this guy next to me says, I thought you'd be faster than that, and I'm like, first of all, this treadmill's broken, and I look over, it's not a Secret Service agent, it's the President of the United States, and he's got that mischievous little sparkle in his eye just being like, gotcha, and good morning. (laughs) And then the truly humiliating part isn't that I couldn't even come up with anything smart to say. But also, like I just left, like I just bolted because I was embarrassed and I didn't know what to do. And then I get in the elevator to go back up to my room, and I realize I had left so quickly I hadn't even wiped down my machine. So I'm like, oh my god, like basic gym etiquette. He now thinks I'm a <laughs> So then the rest of the day I kept wanting to be like, I really should have. Wipe- I usually wiped down my machine, uh, but that was yeah. like the beginning of our relationship in 2012, and that sort of banter, one way banter, because you can't really like you know knock the president. Um, the one-way banter continued for the next five years, usually in the treadmill, usually like at the crack of dawn in hotel gyms.
1: That is amazing. I'm gonna offer another story I have with a world leader, not quite as cool as yours, but when I was in college, Gordon Brown, who was former prime minister of the United Kingdom, came by for a lecture series and I was able to talk with the professor running it to see if I could sit in on the class. And he let me sit in on one of the lectures. And at the end I at the end of the class, everybody goes up and shakes Gordon Brown's hand, shakes the professor's hand, and leaves. And I was just like so happy to even have been in the room, thanks to the professor. I shake the professor's hand, say thank you so much for letting me sit in, and I just bolt. And then I realize <gasps> I completely snubbed the former prime minister of the United Kingdom. Oh, and so no! I, I see, yeah. So I see one of the the Scotland Yard guys, which is their secret service, yeah. and I and I don't want him to think I'm like some weirdo just waiting for the prime minister to come out so i was like hey just so you know like i made this mistake i'm just standing here so i can shake his hand on the way out and he's like yeah sure no problem so the prime minister comes out and then i say hi i'm so sorry i i I just completely forgot to introduce myself and say thank you and he said i know
0: (laughs) oh my gosh that's actually really cool because as you're telling this like whatever he's got like a million different things like yeah these these moments are always so big for you know us humans and for those for more famous people like they're like, okay, after this, I got to get back in the motorcade, blah, blah. So that's actually really yeah. cool and such a testament to him that he clocked to that. And was like, whoa.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. It's so funny because you think.
0: Then and Nani's got to get it together.
1: Right. You think like, who who am I? This guy probably won't care. Is it even weirder to wait to shake his hand? But no, he actually remembered that I snubbed him. So I'm kind of glad we, we mended bridges in that moment.
0: Well done. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> well done on your part.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Not quite as cool as your Obama Treadmill story, but I felt like nonetheless, it inspired that for me. I felt like it was worth sharing. And on that happy note, where can people check out your work and follow you on social media?
0: I'm on Instagram, BackdoryStein. Uh, I'm not on Twitter because everyone says you just feel like garbage if you're on there. So I've avoided that. And information about both books, BackdoryStein.com.
1: Amazing. Great. Thank you. And if you're curious about the podcast, you can check us out on Instagram at HDYDPod. Beck, thank you so much. This was a long time in the works. I was so excited to have you on. I reached out like a year ago and the publisher was like, wait, she has a book coming out. It might've been like six months ago, but a while ago. And she's like, wait, there's a new book coming out. We'll get back to you then. And I am really glad it worked out. So thank you.
0: I am too. Thanks so much for having me, Ben.
1: I hope you found value in today's conversation. If you still haven't left your review for How Do You Do Podcast, I'm going to walk you through the process right now, and it only takes 10 seconds. First, look at your phone screen and click where it says, How Do You Do Podcast, which is in purple. And if you're not seeing this, then you're probably listening to this on a different app. So I want you to click on where it says, Listen on Apple Podcasts, and then you'll see the purple link. Click that. Then you'll just scroll past all the previous episodes to where it says, Ratings and Reviews, And all you need to do is tap the star on the far right and you've left a five-star rating. I thank you in advance for taking the 10 seconds to do that and I really, truly appreciate you listening to this episode. Thanks for sharing it with your friends and followers and I'll see you back here next week.